From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Retina for the Non-Retinologist at COS 2018. You guys work so hard to get refractive outcomes in a white eye, and then the retina surgeon steps in and destroys it with a buckle. First this. I travel a lot. It's one of the perks of the work I do. As fantastic as Hangzhou or Jaipur or Barcelona are, I'm always amazed at how beautiful my own country is. Nowhere is this more in evidence than in Park City, Utah. Words truly fail. That's why I'm so happy that iWorld holds its surgical summit in Park City. Join me in this collegial, informal, and highly educational event in one of the most beautiful places on earth. Go to surgicalsummit.iworld.org. That's surgicalsummit.iworld.org. I'll see you on the slopes. Think back to your college syllabi. There was physics and physics for the non-engineer. Calculus and calculus for the life science major. Computers and computers for the non-programmer. I'm not belittling these courses. They make accessible, important information to the non-expert. The Combined Ophthalmology Symposium had a number of talks on retina for the non-retinologist, and it's my pleasure to welcome two of the speakers, Georgius Troconis and Steve Charles, as my guests today. These interviews were recorded live at the 2018 Combined Ophthalmology Symposium in Austin, Texas. I'm here with Giorgio Traconis. Giorgio, you spoke an interesting case, uh, touches on a, on a lot of different things. Um, let me get you to, to describe this case that uh, is sort of at the interface between glaucoma management and what's that other tissue called? Oh, yeah, retina. <laughs> uh, so tell me, tell me about it. Uh, well, uh, thank you, Josh, for having me. Um, so I have this case of a uh, glaucoma patient uh, who was followed over the years with visual fields and um, uh, was also taking Plaquenil. So despite being followed every year with a visual field, uh, the toxicity to the macula was uh, missed until it was late at the, at the stage of the uh, disease. And uh, uh, the question is how to follow these patients uh, better uh, when they have a confounding factor like glaucoma. Uh, so the academy has the guidelines, and the guidelines are you do a, a, a visual field, you do, multi, uh, you do um, uh, OCT, uh, fundus autofluorescent plus minus and multifocal ARG. And uh, then after five years, uh, you, after you get baseline testing, you do every year um, uh, a visual field 10-2, uh, if they're not Asian, you do a 2430-2 or um, SDOCT and fundus autofluorescence. Not many, many doctors get uh, multifocal ERGs. So when you have uh, a comorbidity, you have glaucoma, so you already have an abnormal uh, visual field to begin with, how do you know if the progression is related to glaucoma or the progression is related to uh, the plaquenil causing toxicity? So in these patients, uh, I think we have to be more careful and uh, order more ERGs to be able to detect early disease because if you reach a point that 
you look at the OCT and there's loss of photoreceptors, there's nothing that can be done. I think we need to be more vigilant and be more aware that maculopathy can happen uh, early on and uh, multifocal ERG will be more appropriate to follow this, you know, challenging uh, patient. So let, let, let me, first of all, I want to want to clarify a lot because you, you, you packed a lot in, in there. So the uh, guidelines that, that you, that you, that you mentioned, the, the OCT of the macula and visual field at baseline and then to repeat five years later and then annual, that is for patients on five milligrams per kilogram per day, actual weight of Plaquenil or, or less. And it's, we're not using lean weight anymore. We're not doing 6.5. It's uh, five. No. Okay. So that, that's, and of course, in, 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 in New, New York, where a lot of my patients are very slight people because we're short generally in New York. Um, many, many, many of my patients are on, are on higher doses. And anyway, that's a different subject. From a logistical standpoint, in, in my own practice, we have a lot of patients who I'm managing for glaucoma. And I have a reasonable number of patients who were sent to me for plaquenil screening. And in the Venn diagram, there are a lot of patients who fall into, into both categories. It's a logistical problem because... I assume when you say that your patient, that this patient that you were yes. consulted on uh, was a glaucoma patient who was being followed with visual fields, they were 24-2 fields. And for Plaquenil, we are, we're doing 10-2 fields. And um, it, it means that a patient is getting a, a hell of a lot of visual fields, and the patients don't like that. And they're getting, um, uh, they're getting an, um, an OCT with me then almost every single visit alternating between retinal nerve fiber layer of the of the nerve and of the of the macula uh, for ellipsoid layer thinning how do you manage all of those those tests well th this is a, a good question and it's a challenge there's no question it's a challenge and um, the problem is you get a baseline visual field. Uh, the patient has a nasal step. You know it's glaucoma. It's not macular toxicity. And then over the years, you get the OCT. You look at the ellipsoid zone, and there's a little bit of a blur. What, what do you do? You're thinking, oh, maybe it's an artifact. And then you, next year, you get another OCT, and then there's a little bit of a blur, but not real maculopathy. And then you know, it's hard to schedule multifocal ERGs, and then suddenly, you know, you get the 24-2, and then you see something paracentral, and then it's too late because you look again at the OCT and you go through the all all the sections, and then, well, surely the defect was there, and then you do the multifocal ERG, and the patient has irreversible vision loss. So I think we have to be extra careful and uh, be less reluctant, uh, first to educate the rheumatologist not to use more than five milligrams uh, per kilogram actual body weight, and uh, not, you know, when you have a cumulative dose of more than a thousand grams, then you can consider switching or finding another treatment for these patients, uh, because that patient was getting, had a cumulative dose of 3,000 grams. So uh, it was, uh, it was something that you know we're discussing with the rheumatologists and trying to find the you know the best dose and you know the, the best way to manage these challenging patients. So it's I I um, I appreciate 
what you're saying, and I I can see how in my in my own practice that, that I that I may want to ch- uh, change things. Typically, I'll only order multifocal ERGs if some other screening test is 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 concerning. But uh, yeah, I mean, if 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 one of our other important diagnostics is confounded by some other pathology, uh, then it makes it much more difficult. Hey, Georgia, this is wonderful stuff. Uh, you know, it's it's hard enough making diagnoses and dealing with single pathologies, let alone multiple ones. Uh, and, and, you know, I haven't forgotten that there's a retina. There's a retina thing. Uh, so I want to thank you for for, for, you. for bringing this, this topic to us, for being so very generous with your time with us today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm here with Steve Charles. Steve, the, the majority of the things that are, are, are presented at ASCRS conferences, I'm like, I'm right there. I'm, I'm doing a lot of them. I'm planning on doing a lot of them. You're talking about something that I plan to never do, sure. which is the management of detached retina. Tell me, first of all, why it is that we're talking about this this subject in, in this venue, and then we're uh, going to talk about this in a little bit more more detail. Sure. Well, I've worked for this organization since uh, day one uh, because I try to view myself as somewhat of a bridge between the intersegment community and the vitreoretinal surgery community. I have pushed the vitreoretinal surgery community as hard as I can for 20 years to get rid of scleral buckles. Why? Because they never can meet the patient expectations of either corneal refractive surgery or refractive cataract surgery. They are not minimally invasive. You open the conjunctiva 360 trap the muscles. They induce axial myopia that's completely unpredictable. It is unacceptable to have a LASIK procedure or to have refractive cataract surgery, get a detachment, which is 1% of all the patients that have, and it's more common in myopes, the same people that have LASIK. It's unacceptable to have discomfort, to have a little bit of ptosis from damage damage the spiral uh, uh, rectus, uh, ponero- excuse me, to the levator ponderosus. It's unacceptable to create ocular surface disorder with bad management of the conjunctiva, bad closure techniques, but more importantly, it is not a refractive procedure. It's an anti-refractive procedure. That's what this is about. But isn't it the... the- the, the gold standard? It's a gold standard is, is my number one pet peeve. So isn't intercapsular cataract extraction the gold standard? No, no. FACO is the gold standard. Isn't uh, spectral correction the gold standard? No, no. Isn't RK the gold standard? But retina surgeons persist in this sort of almost religious-like behavior of, of saying it's the gold standard to a buckle. Wrong. we got to correct this. So uh, what, what are the options? If you've got a superior detachment, uh, say anything above the hor- a, a little bit, a little bit below the horizontal meridian, gas bubble works. Oh, you have to lay in bed for three weeks. No, you don't. You use a one-week bubble, and you don't have to lay in bed. If you've got an OL in your eye, you don't even have to tilt your head forward. You just can't lay in your back. Okay. If it's an inferior detachment, I look put PFO in, liquid fluorocarbon fill it to the top, lay the brakes, leave it two weeks. A general PVD is created if it's a young myope that doesn't have uh, already have a, a PVD, and at two weeks you go back five-minute procedure, eight-minute procedure, take the PFO out. Works great, patient drives a car, go to work, fly on an airplane, and you got PFO in your eye. So you make a very, very strong case. Why is this not being done? It is being done. It's just, uh, you know, Niels Bohr, the, 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 the who invented quantum physics, was once asked about Einstein, and he said, why, why doesn't Einstein accept your theory? What are you going to do about this? He said, you just got to wait till they die. <laughs> 
so I, I, I will I, I will make sure that I, I communicate this to 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 my to my retina colleagues, uh, and, and so, that's why I'm here to yeah. try to communicate to the cataract surgeons. Put this demand on your guys to learn how to do this because you were the, you guys work so hard to get refractive outcomes in a white eye, and then the retina surgeon steps in and destroys it with a buckle. So what, so what? How I mean from from a very very practical standpoint here because this, I mean this is a serious issue. How do I approach my retinologist uh, when I have someone who is going to need repair uh, uh, of, of an RD? I would say to them, can you show me, if you want to come at it, if they're sort of a science-minded, evidence-based doctor, hopefully some people are, come at them with data. Can you show me data that shows that there's better outcomes? There's exactly one paper, a big randomized trial from Europe, and it's heavily flawed. So there is not a randomized clinical trial. There are prospective series that show better outcomes from vitrectomy, better visual outcomes than a vit buckle, combining a buckle and vitrectomy, or buckle alone. Okay? There's, there was a recent paper by Ed Ryan that has the other approach, but on the other hand, frankly, quite outmoded uh, vitrectomy techniques to some extent, in my view. Okay, well, the, the, this is um, important stuff, uh, certainly, uh, and, and you know, you you are you are right. There 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 aren't uh, retina patients, there aren't cataract patients. They're just patients, uh, and, and you know, the, they they go into procedures with ideas of what's going to happen and we need to address those a priori. Absolutely. You can, patients don't expect, once they've had cataract surgery, if they get a detachment, again, 1%, to go home with a red eye and now be way out of focus again and have an ocular surface disorder and a scraped epithelium and a little bit of ptosis and possibly even double vision if there's any trauma to the rectus muscles from the retraction sutures. That's not what they want or expect. It's up to the vitreoidal surgeon to learn techniques to fix them without all those complications. Steve, thank you very much for, for bringing this to us. Uh, uh, the, these are these are fighting words, <laughs> uh, and uh, I uh, look forward to uh, having someone else inform my retina specialist. No, I, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll speak to them. Thanks so much, uh, and thank you as always for the uh, generosity of your time with us today. Appreciate it very much. Thank you, Georgios Chakanis is clinical instructor in ophthalmology at the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine in Cleveland, Ohio. Steve Charles comes to us from the Charles Retina Institute in Germantown, Tennessee. Ask questions of Dr. Traconis, Dr. Charles, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.